The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 109 for June 25th, 2007. Take three or bust. And welcome to the show. I'm Dave. Hi, John. How are you? You know, this reminds me sometimes why sometimes computers suck. (laughs) Is that you do the same thing and you get different results. Yeah, so the first time... Sometimes it makes life exciting, but yeah, as you said, take three. Take three. So the first take, we got... Actually, you said eight minutes. Uh, We got 16 minutes into the first take before I realized Mm -hmm. I had recorded the wrong... uh, uh, whatever in Audio Hijack Pro, the wrong component. So, uh, so we started again, and then John's Skype call dropped out during the little intro we were doing. And so here we are. I asked you this uh, twice so far. I got an answer once. I'm going to ask you it a third time. How are you, John? <laughs> uh, hmm. I really don't know what to say. I mean, uh, I, I think things are looking up. I think so. Three's a, three's a charm. Three's a charm. I, I did something this weekend, John, that uh, it fulfilled a childhood fantasy. When I was a kid, we used to go visit uh, an old college roommate of my dad's occasionally, and they had one of those sky trolleys in their yard. I finally, five years ago, more than five years ago, probably six years ago, Lisa bought me one of them to set up at our house in Connecticut. I never did. Yesterday, Lucas and I were here at the house alone. We finally set it up. Dude. It totally rocks. So wait, but, this is like the wire where you put the pulley with the the wheel and you grab onto the handles and like like that sort of thing. Or yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's awesome. dangerous. No, it's awesome. So what you, I did you could was fall and get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, I, I made it because I, <laughs> I, you know, it's mine, right? So I wanted to make it tall enough for me to use. So the handle is yeah. way up in the air. The kids couldn't possibly ever reach the handle, and the handle's enough for me. But what I did was I took one of those uh, single rope swings with like a, a round uh, base at the bottom and I, I rigged that up so the kids can actually sit on this thing or stand on it and uh, and scooch along on this thing and then I can I can use it with the uh, with the handle so anyway that was uh, that was my fun yesterday and if you notice me uh, stretching and my arms are sore because you know I had my arms above <laughs> my head for well not not using the thing so much as putting it up and then moving it from one tree to the other because we had to get it just right so our show, yeah. yeah, our show today, we, we got quite a few comments, actually, uh, from show number 108, which was last week's show. And uh, so we're going to go through quite a few of those and then also uh, answer some of your questions and, and share some of your tips. And uh, since John and I have done this once already, we're going to move things around a little bit and we're going to actually start with your tips and we're going to let Louise take it away. Hi guys, uh, I was listening to you uh, talking about the problem that your listener had about the computer crashing after wa- after trying to wake up from sleep, and I had the same problem. What I did is I unplugged everything that was USB related, and except for the keyboard and the mouse. And as I was testing each item each day out, I noticed that one of my printers was causing my Mac to crash when it was when it was coming back uh, from sleep. 
maybe this is just an idea. Maybe your listener want to try to unplug every USB device set for the print for the mouse and the keyboard and and start testing that area because in my case that was the problem. Uh, what I do is that I try to leave my printers on whenever the computer is either on or in slip mode and I only turn off my printers or any USB device for that matter when I'm actually turning off the computer. So hopefully this helped. All right. Thanks. Thoughts on that, John? That's a good one. And it, that that's kind of addressing what we suggested, which is, you know, try to yank as many things here. My, my thought would be, yes, I've run into this. We, we've talked about it before, but, but either USB peripheral or it could still be the driver software is just written poorly or the, the, the wake up code, you know, when it's supposed to wake up and, and communicate back to the computer, that part of the uh, the driver is uh, is not written properly. But no, that's a good one. Try to yank as much as possible. And actually, um, the other thing, which we I think we if we didn't suggest last time, is create that new user and see if it still happens. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, you had a problem with uh, you had a similar problem. Maybe it was quite a while ago with a, a printer device doing the same thing. It would keep your uh, machine up. I thought. Yep. Yeah. It was new. Uh, it might have been me. I think so. I think it was me. Uh, all right. So Barrett writes in in regards to our discussion last week about upgrading RAM. He says. I have a bit of insight for your listeners that I thought of when you mentioned the memory buyback program from OWC. I bought two gigs for my wife's MacBook from Crucial. I really recommend at least two gigs. It came with 512 and was always in virtual memory and routinely uses one and a half when normal use. Here's the idea. We have AppleCare. She says it's our computer, but we really know it's hers. I got AppleCare because laptops really have a hard life and I want to be covered. Wise move. If we send it in for a claim, which we already have for an internally dusty display, it will be sent back as purchased. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that would be with 512, not our two gigs. That's why I haven't sold or lent my memory to friends with less RAM as I had originally intended. Thanks always, Barrett. Uh, no, actually, they, they won't. If they take RAM out as part of a troubleshoot, it's part of the troubleshooting process and find that to be the culprit for whatever problem you've sent it in or some other problem that they've found while, it, while it's there, they will leave it out and send it back to you with only the Apple RAM in. However, they will also send back your RAM with it. They aren't just going to keep your third-party RAM. Uh, if, in fact, there is a problem with the third-party RAM, you, as we discussed last week, can send it back and, and swap it out. And if there's not, then they'll just leave it in there. I've, I've sent my machine in with third-party RAM and never had a problem with it just magically disappearing. Although I, although I have had them say, you know, take it out. So there you go. Yeah, one time I actually had the machine returned with a part that caused it to crash violently, not installed, but in a little baggie inside of the box. Mm -hmm. This was the uh, repair from hell, and I think I know why they did that. Okay, this causes the computer to crash violently. Let's not put it in here so we can ship it back to them. But it was it was a factory part, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that As it turns out, it wasn't the part, it was... The motherboard and the part. Yeah. And, you know, we tried to place the part. That didn't work. So it was the motherboard, which, you know, they don't like to replace because that's probably the most expensive part. But of course. sometimes, you know, I mean, not like the days of old where you could replace a chip. Here you replace pretty much the whole thing. The whole thing. That's right. Yeah. All right. Mike writes, again, with regards to our conversation last week, uh, this time on partitions. From my experience using Windows, I set up two partitions on my computer. The first is the operating system, and the second is a data partition. I map all my pictures, music, documents, and the data 
to this separate partition. This way, when the OS crashes, I can reformat the partition and start over without losing anything. I've had to do it only once on my Mac, but several times on my old PC. Okay, uh, that'll certainly work, but I, I think I would still follow uh, John's advice from last week, which is setting up multiple partitions always kind of leaves you in a position where you may regret the decision you made with regards to how much to give any one partition. And I, I agree with you. There are certainly instances where you're going to want to refresh your machine, keep your data, but get rid of the OS. Apple's installer, and I consider this part of the installer, but it is a separate app, and the migration assistant are excellent here. You can do what's called an archive and install, which will do exactly that in one step. Move the old system out of the way, install a new system, and bam, inherit your user account and all that good stuff. Yes, it will also inherit the settings from your user account. So any prefs you have uh, will be inherited. But you could just as easily create a new user at that point. If you're still having a problem, create a new user at that point and just copy the data uh, that you want from one user to the other. And at that point, you're basically running clean um, without having to limit yourself with the with the two partitions. So that, that would be my, my uh, reaction to that. John nice oh I, I I like the uh support there for the 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 simple single partition uh, absolutely uh camp actually no we did get I was thinking in the back of my mind we did get an email regarding since we were talking about partitions uh, in the last show about the g3 we did have someone mention that as far as booting and stuff which is why I went on about the rant about you know a single partition um but the issue was that some older IDE controllers may not understand very large drives, and this is a very large. So I thought we I thought we mentioned that uh, like one twenty eight. Got it. You know, megabytes or something like that. I don't know if you remember seeing that email, but I, I did do. in our exchange yeah. here. Yeah. So it's a good point. Is that older IDE controllers, Apple or otherwise? You know, I mean, now you're looking, and now it's not just Hitachi, but I think Seagate is now on the uh, one terabyte bandwagon. Though I don't think with the current controllers, you really have to think about the same thing because I think they've gotten used to making their buses large enough to understand things like that. Though you never know, there yep. may be a really old computer that'll see a one terabyte drive and just give up and say, well, I don't get it. <laughs> or see it just at, at the most they programmed it for. Right. That's you right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's been formatted on one machine that could see the whole thing, you're Ooh. not going to see it. That's right. Yeah. But that's that's a very... That, that probably won't happen. All right, on to, uh, on to Brian. Hey, John and Dave. Brian from Indianapolis here. You guys rock. I uh, wanted to give you a little tip. I was listening to episode, I think, 108, and you were talking about how you come back from traveling and generally have uh, one or two new tips to share with us, which I always appreciate. Um, I just came back from traveling and have a tip to share with, uh, with your audience as well. I don't know if you've ran into this situation, but uh, I use IMAP to uh, communicate via Apple Mail to my Exchange server at work, and I find that when I'm at a Starbucks um, or any of these other public networks, a lot of times they will block port 25, and so I'm unable to send SMTP mail. Now, my old workaround to that was always to VPN into my work environment, and then I'd be able to do what I needed to do. But uh, I, I discovered an interesting blog posting and decided to try it out. Um, obviously, uh, at least it should have been obvious, but uh, it apparently wasn't to me since uh, you know, OS X is a full-blown implementation of BSD Unix. 
we have SendMail running on our systems, or at least the capability to run SendMail on our systems. And I found a very nice little simple um, blog posting that allowed me to enable um, and install ProcMail and set it up so that it auto-started. And then I was able to change my SMTP preferences to use uh, the IP address of localhost 127.0.0.1. And lo and behold, uh, it doesn't matter where I am, I can always be assured that when I send mail, it's going to send because it's actually using the SMTP server that's on my Mac. So I'm um, not sure if that's too geeky a tip for uh, the, your audience or not, but uh, it was certainly something that was new to me, and I really enjoyed doing it. So thought I'd share that with you. And again, thanks, guys, for all that you do. Take care. All right. Um, I just have an obvious question. The, the, we are talking a number of protocols here. Um, you know, the, the, the big question I have, SMTP, which is port 25 and is typically your outgoing email as opposed to other things like IMAP, which we'll uh, get to in a moment. But what I don't understand is how that could possibly work unless the send mail service is set up. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, help me out here, Dave. But, yep. uh, you know, if you run your own mail server, it still has to at some point talk on the same port to another mail server to say, here you go. So I can't understand the, the nuance that would cause the mail server to be able to talk to another one, but a client to not talk directly because at some point everybody has to talk in 25. Right? Uh, we have a winner. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't agree more as I heard this comment. I thought, Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. And then I thought, well, well, wait a minute. If he can't get out on port 25 with one program, why would another program be able to get out on port 25, which is exactly what you just asked. So the only thing that will work here is your mail client won't complain, right? If you're sending to mail on localhost, it will accept it, and your client will think everything is peachy. And then when you are on a network that does allow you to send out port 25, it, you know, SendMail just keeps trying. That's what SendMail does. Oh. It keeps trying for many days, right? And and we've all seen those bounce messages come back first after four hours, then after you know a couple days, and then after five days, it's not going by default, anyway, you know that's that's how SendMail is. So uh, it, it's possible that moving networks, you know, if you're only at Starbucks for an hour, then you're back in the office. Bam, the, the mail you know spools up and and goes out when when you're back wherever it can go. But uh, I think there's a better, simpler way. Uh, that's a good one. And actually, I bet if you looked in the console, you would probably see SendMail or somebody saying, mm -hmm. "I can't talk to anybody." I can't yeah. talk to anyone. Repeatedly saying, I can't connect to someone, and eventually, yeah, you're, you're right. It will eventually talk to somebody somewhere that allows port 25. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if he, he should look at the, the time and date of when those actually go out. That, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, when they actually leave. So so that works, but port 25 is blocked because, because it is the port that send mail, that mail servers speak on. That said, there are alternate submission ports, and those are, well, there's, there is the SendMail alternate submission port. So not for mail servers to talk to, but for clients to submit mail to their mail server, and that would be port 587. Most mail servers these days accept port mail on port 587. The other way to do it, and this is even better than that, is to simply enable SSL, assuming your mail server accepts both SSL and secure mail, uh, you should be able to send to your mail server from anywhere and it will take it. Now, SSL typically on port 20, or SSL over SMTP over SSL, 
goes over port 465. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and that, that, that should work great. And that's what I do here. And then that way I'm secure wherever I am and able to send mail wherever I am. Again, they, they block port 25 largely because of viruses. There, there are viruses that will act and as those zombies. And zo- yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> just trying to get that count Ooh, Floyd. Scary. That's right. Thank we'll you. to count Floyd. <laughs> if you know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you're all. Uh, that's uh, SCTV. Speaking of Count Floyd and, and Canadians, I'm going to see Rush on Wednesday night. So, Really? Know. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Really? In uh, in uh, New Hampshire? Uh, they're playing at the Tweeter Center on, um, what? on uh, in Massachusetts. The old Great Woods. We call it Great Woods. You know, the Tweeter bought it, but it's Great Woods. Wow. Now, I thought I mentioned another thing to the yeah. uh, wrap up this 25 thing. Yeah. Well, it was actually with a coworker. He was setting up a backup utility. I think it was backup exec or something like that. Okay. And he's like, John, I don't get this, man. I'm you know, trying to set up the utility to uh, send an email when there's a failure or a notification, which is, you know, a really nice feature of a lot of backup software. I'm sure you, you know, get Absolutely. those, you know, for our server farm, Dave. When, when uh, something goes awry. Actually, I, I don't get them. Our, our engineers in, in the Ukraine get them. But, uh, but yes, ah, they are sent Your Your people. The our peeps, people. That's right. <laughs> but uh, he was like, it's not working. I'm like, huh? Because, you know, we have to set up our machines with uh, antivirus and big fix and, you know, some things to be a good corporate citizen. I'm like, oh, you have the latest Virex. That has, although it's antivirus... When you think about spyware and all that, it has a rule in it which was checked on that machine. Now, they give us the ability for some of us, fortunately, to be able to administer our own machine. And I'm like, ah, there's your problem. It was set up by default to block 25 outgoing, especially because we run notes. We don't need to go out on 25. Sure. So anything that does that is suspect unless it's like this guy's backup software that needs to send an email to our internal server to then go Uh, out to him. So uh, that was a... Interesting little sideline there that applies to port 25. Yep. Our sponsor for this show is Smile on My Mac, and specifically their Page Sender software. Version 4 is brand new, and Page Sender is fax software. It lets you send faxes from any Mac app that can print. Now, you can do that with the built in stuff, uh, but this gets a little different. You can Attach additional PDFs, either as cover pages or simply as additional documents to your fax. You can receive faxes using your fax modem. It'll work with just about any address book and email client to pull addresses from. And something very cool is it's fully scriptable. There's examples included for FileMaker. Uh, You can integrate into custom workflows. And actually, you can even integrate into Automator with a fax files function. So... Page Sender 4, $39.95. You can download a fully functional demo at smileonmymac.com. Check the link in the show notes for a direct direct, uh, direct shot there. And uh, Page Sender 4 from Smile on My Mac. Hey, boys. This is uh, Dave Cook from uh, Saugerties, New York, around Woodstock again. Uh, I was uh, calling you with some audio-related stuff a few weeks ago. Um this time I'm calling you about my uh, PowerBook, my aluminum PowerBook's uh, uh, airport reception. I've done some searches online as to why it's so weak these days, and uh, not too much solid really comes up. Uh, there isn't much solid that comes up about it. 
Um, I've only really noticed the difference, uh, or noticed how weak it is, because I bought my wife a uh, uh, a MacBook recently, the, the you know entry level sort of uh, white one. Nothing souped up about it at all, but I noticed that her airport reception is killer in her house. It's it's uh, full full bars everywhere everywhere she goes. And uh, I, you know, if we're sitting on our front porch, she has um, full service. I have one little dot, and I actually have dropouts in it. So uh, I don't know what else I can tell you about my my unit. It's a one. It's an older one. It's a one gig processor, five twelve RAM. It's rock solid. Otherwise, um, I love the computer, and um, uh, I just want better reception. If we're on the road, she goes and clicks on her, and uh, you know, uh, the uh, airport icon, and she can see multiple different. Uh, routers around and I'm lucky if I see one or two so anyway uh, let me know your thoughts on that stuff if you can and uh, that would be well appreciated alright thanks talk to you soon bye alright uh, I have something obvious to, to say here John do you uh, do you have anything well I was going to say did, did you ever have a uh, uh, tie book I did you did yeah, okay, I did so we both did and, and I remember that the, uh, the, the antenna performance in that was Abysmal. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, it wasn't that great because no. I think there was a basic problem there with you know if we're talking antennas and RF, which kind of has to do with electricity and magnetism. The big problem we talk about is is when you're near metal. That's right. And I think the problem with most of the uh, although they look beautiful, the uh, you know early Macs there and even some of the current ones, but uh, but metal and uh, antennas don't really get along that great like buttwheat tay right <laughs> never mind <laughs> antennas and metal don't mix uh so yeah so it, it used to be really bad in the titanium power books uh, because yeah. they, they buried the antenna underneath the keyboard uh now it's up in the screen bezel and you can see the little bits of plastic around it uh where they tried to kind of give it less of a metal casing but the, the reality is that the antennas in metal now it's interesting. The, only one of the antennas is used for airport at any given point in time. Uh, the other one is used for Bluetooth. And the Mac actually decides this intelligently, prioritizing airport at the top. So it figures out what base station mm -hmm. you're connecting to and then uh, figures out which antenna gets a better signal to that one. And that's the antenna that gets airport. The other one gets Bluetooth. If you turn off Bluetooth, I can only think that that would uh, help that process it would certainly remove at least one hindrance and that is the bluetooth uh, the fact that bluetooth uh, transmits and receives on in basically the same frequency range as uh, as airport does so uh, mm -hmm. so i you know try turning off bluetooth but uh, you know and and, uh, and you said this of course the first time that we uh, that we got to this question tonight john which or was, was it the second no, the first. It was Sorry. the first. That's right. Which was to uh, to change the channel on the airport router. Now, obviously, you can only do that at home. You can't do that out and about. But there are many. Uh, most routers, it, it, it seems, come set to channel six. Moving that to one end or the other, either one or eleven, often can help Im increase the uh, the signal strength. Now, it would increase it for your wife too, but that's not a bad thing. And then, uh, and then, lastly, just just. <laughs> You know where I'm going with this, John? I was going to say, depending on who wears the pants in the family. <laughs> you know, I mean, just switch your computer with... There you go. 
Um, another option, uh, perhaps, yeah. So we talked about channel change. Another could be um, with many of the Macs, uh, except, alas, the PowerBook G4 and the smaller ones. You could get an external, although it makes the Mac ugly because there's a card. When I had my, my Titanium, um, our workplace was just starting to, uh, you know, Leap Support was not built into uh, OS X back then. So uh, you had to get the Cisco card, but it worked great because the antenna was external. You know, the only bad news is it was sticking out of the side of the machine and then it wasn't nice and neat and right. straight anymore. It had yeah, this blob I'm coming out the side and then the cases, you know, so hopefully you didn't have a case that like fit the machine because you'd be very unhappy. <laughs> I, I remember we used to we used to envy you at Macworld Expo because we'd all be sitting in the, you know, press lounge or whatever fighting for a signal and you know, you could be like out in the parking lot and you'd have full bars on your Cisco client. So yeah. Those, oh, and those... then even that card or a version of that card which uh some of my colleagues bought was a headless. What it meant is that you could get another antenna. Like the uh, the famous, uh, you know, if you're familiar with RF at all, uh, the famous Pringles can, yeah, uh, 2.4 gigahertz, uh, which is the frequency, as they've mentioned before, where Bluetooth and uh, 802. Dot whatever most of the flavors live, and and yes, although they are designed to in to tolerate each other, turning one off or the other helps because they just basically it, you know there's only so much space if they're on the same frequency, they got to kind of deal with each other. Yep. So yeah. Uh, shutting that off is good. An external card is is another thing if your machine can do it. And I think, actually, now that I'm thinking about this, uh, Quicker Tech, I believe, sells antennas for the uh, to be to be stuck on the PowerBook. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something else to check at QuickerTech.com. Q U I C K E R T E K dot com. So uh, we'll put uh, a, and the last thing that in the show notes. Yep, we mentioned it one time. I'll mention it again because this is the present and not the past, but no, um, check your uh, antenna connection. Oh, right. On a lot of the Macs, you can see the wireless card, and you can see the cable it goes to. And now, I can't imagine, unless you're really, you know, tossing your Mac around, like, <laughs> well, you know, it could happen if you commute a lot. I mean, it could vibrate and all that. And I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty good connection, but still, the wire that goes into the airport card, just, you know, Check it out. Give it a nudge. Uh, it may be, you know, you may have to open a little door in a lot of the Macs near the battery, typically, to, to get the card, though it depends on the Mac. But check that antenna connection. Maybe your antenna connection is uh, not that great. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Okay. Uh, Rob writes, I used the Cisco VPN client with my MacBook Pro, and it had been working great. Suddenly, it failed to work one day. After a painful exchange of at least 10 emails with Cisco, we discovered that the VPN client was somehow binding to the IP capabilities of the FireWire port. I have no intentions whatsoever of ever using the FireWire port for IP communication, so with that in mind, how can I permanently disable IP on the FireWire interface? Rob then goes on to explain uh, that there's a terminal command you can shut it down with, ifconfig space fw0 space down. But that, of course, only does it for the current session. Yeah, and it, that's... In, instead of digging into startup scripts, uh, ask if there's a better way. And uh, there is. If you open up system preferences, go to network, and in the from the show menu, drop down to network port configurations, you'll see a list of all of the available ports in your computer, network ports. And one of these is going to be FireWire. There's two things to do. One, uncheck the box next to FireWire so that it turns it off. That will persist from session to session and should deal with this problem. 
The other thing to do, just in case, is to drag that FireWire interface down to the bottom of the list. That will prioritize it as the least important interface and should hopefully, uh, those two should hopefully uh, double secure you from this problem. For this problem. Huh. Yeah. Now That's I have one additional possible solution. I ran right. into this when I was trying to, uh, with the, the Cisco VPN client, was trying to do it over Bluetooth with an IP connection through my uh, my phone. Yeah. Um, and would complain even though other things were working. When I tried to run the VPN client, it would say network socket unavailable. I'm like, huh? And actually, this was a uh, Mac OS 10 hints article. But what you had to do is do a, you know, sudo our friend sudo from the command line, but actually unload and reload the Cisco VPN kernel extension. Huh. And then everything was great. So Sounds like a similar issue, yeah. Yeah, because the thing that gets me is that the, the, the VPN client, typically, if a connection is valid, it'll go for it. But, but I agree with you is that the ordering of the network ports um, could influence how the VPN client chooses. And it may just look at the first one. If it doesn't work, says, eh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, moving on to Tim. Regarding static IPs and uh, changing ISPs, uh, if you're behind a router and uh, you change ISPs and you're using static IPs or manually configured IPs within the route, the uh, internal network, you will probably have to go back and change the DNS settings in all of the computers so in order for them to point to the new ISPs DNS servers, whereas if you have a router that is assigning uh, dynamic IP addresses or, as you, pre as you mentioned on the podcast, reserved addresses, then when each computer uh, gets a new IP address, so you have to force it to get a new IP address when you change um, ISPs, so when the, when the changeover occurs, it will, the router will send with the DHCP request or the DHCP assignment, actually the new IP of all the DNS servers. Um, just FYI, this is Tim Downing from the High Potency Music Podcast. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Tim. Okay, so uh, to try and encapsulate that, the idea is if you're statically assigning an IP on your Macs in, inside your network, even when your outside IP changes, your Macs internal IPs don't need to change. Unless, but but the one thing you do need to change, potentially, is that of the DNS server. Now, there's two things to, to mention here. One, and, and, and he's right, you're supposed to change the DNS server, but most DNS servers will answer requests from outside their network. So let's say you're on uh, Comcast and you switch to a Verizon connection. Uh, if you're still using Comcast DNS servers, they're still going to answer and they're still going to give you data. Now it's not an efficient path, but it's pretty quick, uh, and and it'll and it'll work. So you may not even notice that this is a problem. The second thing you can do is most routers, and I believe the Apple routers fall into this camp. But correct me if you correct me if I'm wrong, John, or if any of you know that I'm wrong. Uh, most routers today support what's called DNS forwarding, meaning the router knows what your DNS addresses are. And if you point your Mac to the router, so if your Mac's address, let's say, is 192.168.1.100, and your router is 192.168.1.1, you put that .1.1 in not only for the gateway, but also for the DNS, 
And then the router will deal with forwarding in and out for whatever DNS server it's been assigned by uh, by either you manually or from the outside network. So uh, that's what I do here is is manage with internal DNS, and it seems to work just great. But I've got a Linksys router, so I'm not yep. uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, so I, I'm not sure if the Apple ones do it, but I think they do. I think they do. So my response forward. is uh, is as, as follows. Uh, so number one, manual setup is so last week. Wow. <laughs> But number two is that DHCP is is uh, the buck. Can I say the bomb? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear. But um, of course, DHCP kind of deals with all of that, which is why it's so nice. Assuming your router is set up correctly, like you know, I have the uh, you know Linksys wireless WRT fifty four G, and and that passes it along. You, you can see if um, it, it's bad and ass. You can see if. Uh, your, what your IP of your name server is via, I believe if you, uh, now NSLOOKUP talking about things that are so last week is another command. DIG is a, probably a nicer one, and it will show you towards the end of it. Uh, it'll say something like here I'm looking at, it says server colon IP address pound sign 53, which of course is the uh, DNS port, and then there's uh, another address. So just if you're curious if that information filtered down, because it's not necessarily shown to you immediately if uh, in the uh, network. Uh, control panel. No, not the control panel. System oh, preference. I got you. I finally, finally, you're, you've joined my camp. Ha ha. Uh, our second sponsor for this show is Audio Engine with their A5 speakers. You can see pictures of these at AudioEngineUSA.com. They're two separate speakers. They are desktop speakers, but they could be used anywhere. You could put them in your kitchen. You could put them in your living room. The beauty of these is they're totally self-contained they've actually got once you plug it into power well self-contained other than power because we don't have wireless power yet uh if we we do it's called microwave but i digress Mm -hmm. they've got uh two speakers in each unit a tweeter and a woofer and their sound is fantastic they've got a full range sound lots of low end but not too much at least not for my ears and they've got a separate power jack on the back so if you say want to hook your airport express up to it you can do that right on the back plug right in you're good to go you can also charge your ipod there is a usb port on the top so you can plug in your ipod dock uh, connector cable into your dock connector and then into the usb port on the top of this and then plug your uh, speaker jack in and you're good to go the a5 speakers from AudioEngineUSA.com come in both white and black and uh, now feature a direct subwoofer output. If you feel the need for m- even more low end, you can you can get it now. Uh, and there you go. That's wow. Audio, that's new. AudioEngineUSA.com. That is new, relatively speaking. Jared, yes. take it away. Hi there, John and Dave. This is Jared uh, from Dyersburg, Tennessee. Uh, I love the show. I've been a long time listener. This is my first time calling in. Uh, I'm calling in response to uh, episode 108. Uh, first off, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I've actually had great fun at my school. My school always has Macintosh computers and uh, some several 17-inch iMacs. And using my own Apple remote, it's been uh, a lot of fun being able to kind of mess around and with some of the kids and put their computers to sleep and all that. Uh, I'm also calling because I have an uh, issue with iTunes. You sort of alluded to it in your last uh, last episode. But I'm wanting to to split my iTunes library. I, I'm wanting to have my uh, music and podcasts on my uh, MacBook Pro internal hard drive, 
And I'm also, but I'm wanting to keep my movies uh, on an external FireWire drive, uh, a MyBook Premium. And I'm not exactly sure how to do this to where I can get the movies to go into the external drive and get the music to go into the internal drive of my MacBook Pro. I was wondering if there's either a first-party or a third-party solution uh, to solve this problem. So uh, I love the show once again, and I keep up the good work, and uh, you can email me. All right. Uh, Apple, I know we've got some Apple engineers that listen to this show. Are, are you listening here? Because Really? Yeah. Uh, because this is important stuff. People want to have their iTunes library in different places. I, I can totally see a need for this, right? Or maybe you've got enough room to have your podcasts or your songs stored on your Mac. And that way, maybe you've got a MacBook Pro or whatever, and uh, and you want to have your songs stored there so that when you travel, you're okay. But movies, you know, let's say you've got a huge movie collection that you're using, for example, with your Apple TV, right? And uh, But, you know, the Apple TV, as far as I can tell, only binds to one computer at a time. And so, you, you know, you just want to have all of that available and make it easy. Um, so, you know, it would make sense to have the ability to put different pieces of your iTunes library in different places. Uh, were you going to say, I have, a, I have a potential solution here, John, but, but, uh, but if you want to join, I know my, on my rant. Well, again, as a, as a happy investor, I, I think well, I can appreciate the simplicity of the model to have one device to one computer. Yeah. It does wonders for the sales of computers. <laughs> yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, you know, like with the Apple TV, I mean, it would be actually be great if you could pull from multiple libraries simultaneously, yeah. but I, I seriously, I, I, I would think eventually now that Apple is, you know, making itself an entertainment company in part, yes. Trying to dig a little deeper into what the users want and their lifestyle requirements and, and stuff like that. Because yeah, one computer to one device is, is uh, a, a bit, uh, coarse. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. The way I think this could work, I, I looked when, when I got your, your voicemail here, Tim, uh, did I say Tim? I, we had, the last question was Tim. Jared. Uh, it appears as though all the movies are stored in a folder in iTunes library slash movies. Now, you could symlink that folder or alias it to another drive and just name the alias movies. And then that way it should work. Now, if the alias gets broken, I don't know what's going to happen. If, for for example, you're not connected and, and then you try to add a movie uh, or try to manage something, I'm not sure how that's going uh, to fall apart. But that, that would be one way to uh, to experiment with it. Otherwise, you'd have to do the, uh, the whole iTunes option key startup and manage, truly manage multiple libraries. But then you're you know you, you don't get access to everything all at once so i we've talked about this before this is not uh, the first time we've lamented about the limitation of how itunes library is managed but it seems like especially with the apple tv uh, and and like you said john apple becoming an entertainment company in part it's very important that that this issue get addressed and i think we will i think we'll see it addressed uh, sooner hopefully sooner rather than later how are we doing on time here? I have no idea now. All right. Uh, you know what? We're going to skip one of these, and uh, and I want to give some props out to our, uh, our our good friend here. Hey, Matt Geeks. This is Shin from Australia. Um, love your show, mate. Just want to say thank you to Michael Johnston 
um, for his embedded pictures and the links. So much easier to listen to your podcast, especially with the chapters, because um, I commute a lot and um, skipping forward to various different chapters makes it so much easier to listen to your podcast. So hey, thanks, kudos to Mike. Cheers. All right, and uh, and I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Michael, for uh, for stepping up. It it actually amazes me each week. I we do the show. It's uh it's ten o'clock now Eastern time. We'll be done here in a couple minutes. It takes you know a little while to process. I'm back at home by ten thirty. Uh, I go maybe watch an hour of television, have a little snack, go to bed. By the time I wake up in the morning, the pot the enhanced version is up. It's good to go. If I were uh, using my iPod to commute back and forth. Bam! It's it's already there. It's already on it. So uh, thank you, Michael. We we appreciate it. And you can actually check out uh, Michael's other endeavor, which is iPhoneAlley.com, and he's got a lot of cool stuff up there. Um, lots of cool stuff. He's got you know specs on the iPhone. I think there's an AT and T customer manual up there. What? I don't know, I don't know where he's getting this stuff. AT and T. Yeah. Specs on the iPhone. 18, what is it like coming out 18, Friday or something? That's what I hear. That's what they tell me. <laughs> you gonna go get one, John? Uh, no. Okay. You sure about that? Not right away. All right. Well, that's good. I want to touch one. You know, yeah. we we didn't get to do that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. The Apple's managed that expectation very, well, very well. We 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 talk to people that touched it. So. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we know them firsthand. Yeah, firsthand. <laughs> Hey, so uh, one other iTunes thing I wanted to talk about was that, uh, and I'm surprised none of you noticed this, although I saw one of the comments posted on iTunes. Yeah. John, you found it. But last week, John noticed, wow, we're not in the featured technology list anymore. And we started looking, and our iTunes, iTunes now this is, this is yet another beautiful work of art here. We have iTunes, the client, and we have iTunes, the store, and the cloud. So iTunes, the client, was picking up our podcast just fine every week, as you all know iTunes, the store in the cloud, hadn't picked up a podcast of ours since March. And there was an issue. Uh, the feed changed and the client picked it up just fine. The store didn't. Uh, and so I got in touch with Apple. We fixed that. Now the store is seeing all the stuff. We're back in all of those lists. Everything is good to go. The world is a happy place again. Um, but uh, what I did notice was that we haven't seen a whole lot of new comments in iTunes in a while. Now, part of that could be, of course... Because we weren't listed there, or we were. Yeah, so let us know. have it. Yeah, so so head over to iTunes, click on our link. We'll put a link in the show notes. Click on a link in the show notes, or right there in your uh, iTunes. There's that little arrow thing that you could click on, and bam, it'll bring you there. Write a comment, positive, negative. We'd love to hear it. Your comments are shared, obviously, with everyone else using iTunes, and we appreciate that. Uh, well, not the negative. No, the you negative don't be is a good. Downer man. No, but if they've got good constructive <laughs> criticism, you know, absolutely. Good. Yeah. Or a podcast alley. Podcast yeah, but let's let's focus on the iTunes comments this week. Next week we'll do the podcast. Yeah. Or oh, and like podcast. There's there's a podcast event coming up, I believe. Portable media. Uh, <laughs> you caught me. Uh, <laughs> podcast and new media expo is September 28th through 30th, and uh, I I think For John there, and I'll still be there. Yeah, that's right. So that's that. Uh, I have to ask. You know, actually, I got two things to talk about. Well, I'll, t I'll ask the first one mm -hmm. first. We saw macOS 10.4.10 come out last week. Yeah. Now, we know that, uh, at least as far as Apple has told us publicly, Leopard isn't due out until October. It's mm -hmm. possible that Tiger could be the first macOS ever to go to 11. 
if we see one more update. That's all we need. Go to 11. That's right. One more update. You can't go to... Wow. The OS that goes to 11. That's a beautiful... I like that. So, uh, I want to ask you, John, if you noticed... If there's anything we missed in last week's show, show number 108, is there anything at all that you know of that we missed in last week's show? Something uh-huh. potentially important, albeit, you know, just a I, bit of trivia. I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. You, you have No, you don't know where I'm going with this. I, I noticed it uh, Tuesday morning. Last week's show would have marked our two-year anniversary doing this. Aww. Isn't that something? Yeah, so... Not a huge deal. It's obviously, wow. you know, we, we, we're, we're enjoying it so much that we're not thinking about oh. how long we've been doing it. But yeah, two oh, I didn't get you anything. Happy anniversary, John. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get me anything. Uh, no, I didn't. That's right. Actually, you did. You, you got us a present, John. You, you found that we were, our iTunes feed was broken. <laughs> so that was good. That's actually All right. good to fix. Something's coming back, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah, something's coming back. That's right. <laughs> Cashfly hosting is where you download this show from. Uh, next week, who knows what we'll be talking about. Oh, next week, actually, we're going to do some reviewing. We've got a couple of products that we're going to talk about here. And uh, so we'll, we're, we're starting. Oh, we're definitely reviewing next week. There's no question about this, John. Maybe. <laughs> you're going to do it whether you like it. You're going to do it, and you're going to enjoy it whether you like it or not. <laughs> The, po- the podcast marketplace this month has the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. BB Edit from Barebone Software, one free download from audioaudible.com, but you have to click the link in the show notes, and Page Sender from Smile on My Mac. If you want to sponsor the show, contact the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, and everything will be taken care of. And that, John, is it. And I believe I actually recorded the show this time. <laughs> you better have, or I would have come up there. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been faster if you had. I still can't believe I did that. You know, I joke about doing it. It wasn't a joke tonight. Oh, oh you know, you know we, we got that comment last week uh, where somebody didn't hear me whisper this at the end of the show. So we're going to do this a little bit differently. What? Don't get caught. Made up.